I'm just here for the home fries, honestly. <laughs> I could live on potatoes. I am living on potatoes for yeah. the most part. Yeah. I love them. Same, kind of. I guess it's my Irish mm-hmm. coming through. As we sit here telling stories till it's quarter after three. Details are so gory, but that's how they're supposed to be. And this waiter must be wondering if we're ever gonna leave. I actually have been eating a lot of potatoes, but not just because I'm Irish. Don't you stereotype me. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm John Kim Fay, the man who will not be stereotyped in spite of the man's best efforts. That makes no sense. Anyway, welcome to Talking at the Diner, the show where musicians and creatives Tell me their stories while we break bread at the diner of their choice. Today's episode takes place at the Fishtown Diner in Philadelphia, where I met up with my friend Aaron Fox. Aaron is a Philly musician who has played in some killer bands over the years, and since 2017, she's been releasing solo records. I highly recommend you pick up 2021's brilliant Fuzzy Logic album on 180-gram vinyl. That's the good stuff. If you haven't heard Aaron's music yet, here's a little taste. Pictures of someone else Somewhere else Always sell They stay so far away From everything we can't That last clip is from Aaron's band, Resilient, a name which couldn't possibly suit her any better. Because let me tell you something, she has seen some shit. Uh, uh, pardon, pardon my hoagie mouth, everybody. Let me rephrase. She has faced down some challenges, to say the least. Whether it was playing bar gigs in her mom's cover band since the age of seven, or signing shady music biz contracts by the time she was in her teens, or having brain surgery in her 20s, Erin Fox has survived things that would absolutely have broken some people. And yet, she pushes forth and just keeps getting better. She's honestly one of my favorite songwriters. Her music is simultaneously challenging and accessible. And I can't thank her enough for taking the time to have breakfast for dinner with me at the Fishtown Diner. So without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Aaron Fox right now on Talking at the Diner. Everything is on the table when we're talking at the diner. 
mom did that like ancestry thing or whatever. Oh really? And it came back like 99% Irish. I was like, oh, that, that's usually bad. But <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm doing all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Worked out. I think my brain's no normal, kinda. <laughs> well, not really. <laughs> Speaking of which, Brain Fest is coming up again. So it is. How many years in a row have you done that? This will be the ninth year. Wow. Is it weird that it's kind of like living online these days? Yeah. Um, I mean, there's like some relief to it with not having to like carry a bunch of stuff, you know, but at the same time, I miss it being in person. Yeah. And since like we do the planning really early in the year at the time, everybody was like, oh no, like COVID's crazy again. So mm -hmm. sorry, right. can't do it. And plus everybody's tour dates are all backed up and everybody had rescheduled for like the date that we wanted. And right. by the time things started opening back up and we were asking for that date, people were like, no, we don't have nighttime available, but we can give you like an afternoon slot. We have no nighttime available. And I'm like, no, it's kind of an all-day thing, so whatever. That we'll works just, out. We'll just do this virtual one last time, and then hopefully we don't have to go through another wave of pandemic. Yeah. Fingers crossed. How are you feeling about all that? Like, it seems like everything is like really normal again. Um, I don't know. I kind of didn't even like flinch yeah. at the pandemic in a way because. I've had like a lot of stuff happen in my life that I was just like, well, all right, this is going on now. It's just one more thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I feel that. So. I almost feel guilty sometimes that like the pandemic didn't really, well, let's just put it this way. Like, I think I had an easier adjustment to it than some people that I know. Same, yeah. Because I was like, well, I probably wasn't going to be out and about that much anyway. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like. And I go through a lot of highs and lows, and in my lows, I hide in my house anyway, so mm. I was used to that. I was like, oh, I don't, I don't have to, like, cancel plans. No, you don't have to, like, make an excuse <laughs> for it. It's just what, what, what it is, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of nice. But um, now I can just do that anyway because, you know, I'm in my 30s now. I know if I'm too tired to do something, nobody asks any questions. Um. <laughs> So, or guilt trips. It's me just an it. unspoken thing. 30s. Um, yeah, I guess the only thing about the pandemic that was weird for me was like, I don't know. I, I deal with my own like internal problems by um, booking myself a lot of shows and yeah. like musical things to do so that I don't have to sit in my own yeah. shit and analyze it. Uh, no, and, I get um, that. And not being able to have that release was kind of. Uh, unsettling oh yeah so I had to find a new thing to obsess over and fixate on because that's my personality <laughs> and um so so you were fixated on that instead so I adopted a bunch of plants and knew nothing about gardening but oh. I killed a lot of them too but I learned <laughs> you know how to have a little garden I turned our patio into they sacrificed themselves for your greater knowledge of yeah horticulture and whatnot. Yeah, but it was, it's been fun. Um, my garden looks like crap right now because, you know, we're just coming out of winter, but I plan on getting that started again. Um, so what do you grow? Uh, I mainly have, like, houseplants, succulents, desert things, okay. things that are hard to kill, but I did get a fiddle fig, and um, 
a ginseng fig tree, um, which was cool. That's cool. And uh, yeah, I don't know the names of a lot of them. I just like them because they looked really cool. And I like the patterns on the leaves. I like calatheas a lot. I'm probably not even saying that correctly, but prayer plants, as they call them. You're so. saying it in a way that sounds very knowledgeable, so. <laughs> <laughs> I just read the tag and I was like, I'll I'm gonna say it. Take one of these. How it looks. But yeah, I like prayer plants. They're awesome. Had you done any kind of gardening before, or did you just say to yourself, like, this is something I want to try? No, my grandma does a lot. Like, she had both hips replaced, but before she needed to move into, like, an old folks community, um, she used to have a huge garden in her backyard. It was awesome. It had, like, a little stream running through it, and she had statues in it, and, like, I don't know. It was awesome. Um, It was, like, a little garden in the woods, and it's just, like, a really cool memory I have as a kid. Um, going and like sitting there and just wow. sitting in nature and thinking about life or the future or listening to the sounds you know that came from the water that's really awesome my, my mom had a, a very deep love of nature and gardening and for whatever reason I didn't appreciate any of it until way way later mm-hmm. um, which I think about a lot because she I mean she was so meticulous with the things that she did you know like she had this um, this Japanese maple in our front yard which she would take like these little I guess gardening scissors that she had like, they almost looked like you know like something you'd snip a cuticle with <laughs> yeah the little thumb thing <clears throat> yeah yeah and she just like would work on it for like hours and it was just like this meticulously shaped thing and i think she she got a lot of i don't know like zen comfort out of doing that mm-hmm. and um I never really got into it myself. I would always be like, what are you working on that tree for all day? Yeah. <laughs> <You know? clears throat> Not knowing that it was, it had a bigger purpose. Well, people probably look at musicians the same way. Like, why are you playing that scale? Why are you <laughs> working well, on that same chord change No over one's and ever over accused again. me of playing a scale. But <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> but maybe, <laughs> why are you playing a DAG so much, John? <laughs> Yeah, or whatever you're repetitiously going over, Mm -hmm. somebody might view it in the same way if they didn't understand music at all. No, I get it. I look at car guys that way, I'm like, don't you get tired of bending over a hood like that? I guess everybody has a thing. Mm -hmm. But it's cool that you, you know, you found something that like, was like like a completely new thing to try, you know, like, that's growth right there. That's nice. It's, it's something. I had to fixate and obsess over something because yeah. <laughs> if I don't, I go, I go nuts. No, I, I hear you. And then I just, um, you know, bought a bunch of, well, not a bunch, but enough uh, equipment to be able to record at home, and I went back to that. But for, for a while, the, the obsessive gardening was nice. It was like, yeah. all right, I'm getting out of my own head, and this mm-hmm. is great. And then at one point, you just sort of like immerse yourself back in music and there it is. Yeah. Yeah. It was more like a straight month of just, I think it was December. Um, I was really going going at it and recording like what became Fuzzy Logic Mm -hmm. uh, and GarageBand. Learning how to use GarageBand really because I was 
totally inexperienced. Which I listen to in its entirety. And, like, I keep... <laughs> I keep trying to find the words to describe what my reaction is to it because it's, like... I feel like I'm listening to, like, a classic record from, like, the mid-60s, but it's not a rock record. It's, like, something that's jazzy or... You know, a couple of the songs of Fuzzy Logic just have like some. It's just a classic kind of feel that I can't. I can't say it sounds like this record that I can point to, but there's just something about it that like I just I dig, and I think it's in part because like you're such a smart composer. Like I'm, I'm very nerdy about these things, but like. <laughs> Sometimes, like, I hear the changes, and I, I'm sure I've said this to you, like, before, but, like, I'm just, like, floored by it. And uh, I, I wish more people eventually, like, hear that record. I guess I can just die now, because you're one of my, <laughs> you're one of my songwriting heroes, wow. and I, <laughs> I don't, see, like, I don't know I how really, to take that kind I of, seriously appreciate that, but it's, like, you. your like, level what? of sophistication is, like, like, kind of, like, beyond my comprehension, really. Well, John Faye, I don't know what I'm doing when I play guitar, I'm literally just wandering around, and I'm like, okay, I don't know what this chord is, but that sounds cool. And um, well, it's like it. an upside down triangle, so with my pinky here, you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. I'm trying to learn now. Like, I started studying again with this classical dude, um, and he's really kind. Like, yeah. and he's trying to help me. And he's like, How did you never translate any of your theory knowledge onto guitar? I will never understand. I'm like, I don't know. Like, I, I did orchestra as a kid. So, and you already know music theory, but. Not I when did. It comes to I did know it. No. I, I don't like. It's somewhere in it the remnants away, of sure. my brain. Like, yeah, I learned. I had learned it to get through school with viola. But I, I'm a by ear person, you know. Yeah. Like when I started viola, I had to start over again because I would do the Suzuki thing. You know uh-huh. how they start out little kids at Suzuki or whatever. Right, right. And um, I would like hear somebody play the song first, and then I would just like mimic it. And then my teacher kind of figured it out and flipped to a random, random page and was like, play that. And I'm like, oh, can I just, would you mind just uh-huh. playing it? And was, she was like, no, read it. And I couldn't do it. They so she found was like, you, out. <laughs> you gotta start all over again. And I was so oh, man. embarrassed. So. Hey, you know, it's kind of, I've always been a by ear person too. Yeah. Although, you know, You might agree with this, you know. I wouldn't say that we don't know what we're doing, because we do, but, like, not in a conventional way. Yeah, like, not, that that not in the proper way, or whatever. It helps on, a, on the creative end, because you don't get the sense that you're not following a rule or a convention or something. Yeah. And so, it's just what sounds good to you. Mm-hmm. Which is cool. I know all my power chords. I'm like, oh yeah, G A whatever. Like that's easy, but I haven't memorized the neck. I can't do it. I shouldn't say can't, but I just have not been able to so yeah, far. It's just not been a priority. I get lost. 
I can't do it fast enough. Like, if I sit there and really think about it, I'm like, uh, you know, well, five I mean, minutes later, I might know. The thing is, is like, clearly, you've, you've played in rock bands. Mm-hmm. That's how you kind of started in bands, right? I mean... I started playing in my mom's cover band when I was a kid. I think you told me that one. So what was that like? Stressful. <laughs> um, well, they won't listen to this, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> but, no, I mean, you know, my, my dad lost his job when I was, like, born, right around that time. And, um, you know, it was hard for him uh, to accept it. So... My mom just kind of went back to what she was doing before, which was playing in a band with her brother and was going out and playing cover gigs, like, every night, like, right away. Um, And I remember being at gigs with her when I was, like, three because she couldn't always get a sitter and, you know. Damn. Yeah. I remember being at, like, Fiddler's Green. You remember that place, Fiddler's Green? In the King of Prussia? I don't. No. But it sounds like the kind of place that would be pretty interesting <laughs> you know Irish bar had cover bands whatever yeah and I'd just be sitting side stage like watching my mom on a bar stool <laughs> and um I remember taking my kids to Dobbs a couple times when they were really little <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. similar thing but but so you must have started playing in her band pretty young then right I think the first time I might have been like seven or eight but I, I couldn't do much. I would just, you know, kind of do a song or two. And then once I really proved to them that I wanted to play guitar and I was like, yeah, I want to do this, you know, I'm serious about it. Um, I could barely hold my mom's guitar because I was too, like, little. But um, So do you credit that early experience with, like, you wanting to pursue it? Did it have, like, a certain romance to it? I think so. I thought it was just, like, what I was supposed to do because that's what... That's the family business? Kind of. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I looked up to my mom. I mean, my mom's voice is, like, another level. Like, if you... I don't know. I'll find something and let you listen to it. I mean, she's just on a whole other level. That's awesome. Like, I will never be on the level that she's on. She is so good. So what kind of songs did the cover band do? Was it like... She would actually... She would do the day? Yeah, and she would do Irish music, too. She could do Patsy Cline and sound like Patsy Cline. She wow. could do... See that She's a good impressionist. She could do Pat Benatar. She could do Lin- Linda Ronstadt like nobody else. Wow. All that stuff. Um, Carly Simon. Um, you know all the all the stuff from her time. Well, I think you know, like I think everything you're saying like makes it puts your voice in more context for me because like there's all of those sort of classic singers mixed up in there. I didn't really start playing gigs with them consistently until like 10, 11. And then I. Not until you hit the ripe old age of 10, really. <laughs> and then um, 
I told them, like, I want lessons because I can't just, I didn't know what I was doing lead-wise, and they would throw these songs at me and be like, why aren't you playing, like, play the guitar lead if you're going to play guitar, you know? They, you know, <laughs> Who's telling you this, your mom or other people at the band? My dad. My oh. dad eventually joined in on bass because oh. he didn't want to be the only one not playing, and um, he had played in her a different band with her called Silver Fox back in the day before <laughs> before I, like I was born yeah um, they were like a country rock band hmm. wow so he dusted off his bass and joined the band I remember I had this distinct memory of playing like crazy little thing called Love by Queen because I suggested hey can we do a Queen song Queen was like the first band that I was obsessed with oh yeah it's just I don't know something about it it was the first record I bought myself Queen's the game I went into like a Sam Goody and I paid completely in change $10 out of like I acted like it was a purse but it was one of those zipper open like messenger bag style CD case things and I wanted to like look independent walk around the mall by myself love that you did that (laughs) I too have purchased records with with change Mm-hmm. I remember um, my friend and I, this is like uh, 1979, and we're like just starting like eighth grade or something. Mm-hmm. And um, B-52s appear on Saturday Night Live for the first mm-hmm. time. And <laughs> they play Rock Lobster, oh. and they play uh, Dance This Mess Around. I don't know if you're familiar with the whole first album. but Oh, yes. So... We're just like, what is this? It's it was like the most incredible thing. So like we literally went out the next day, and my friend and I we had like a faux, um, well we called it like a um, a media empire. <laughs> we like made movies with a Super 8 camera. We had our own magazine. We did all these different creative endeavors, and we would <laughs> we would collect quote-unquote dues from our employees, which was our, our schoolmates that we would, like, rope into, like, being in our films and stuff. Oh, that's and awesome. so we literally paid for the first B-52s album with a jar of pennies. Like, probably, like, 899 pennies or however many it took to buy an album back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Much to the, uh, the clerk's dismay. Oh, yeah. I got the same dirty look. I could barely see over the counter. And I'm dumping all this change. And he's like, I'm going to count 100, 200 pennies. Like, what is going on? But I got home, and I and I put that thing on my boom box. And as soon as I heard the pew, 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 oh, all yeah. those space noises in the beginning, mm-hmm. I was just like, my life changed forever. That's amazing. What a great record. A great mm-hmm. first record. Yeah. Because that one has another one, Bites of Dust, right? Mm-hmm. Sail Away, Sweet Sister. Oh, my God. That's like Brian May's mm-hmm. song. That's a great... Dragon Attack. Dragon Attack. <laughs> Used to be a band coach at Blue Bond Music School off of South Street, and uh, one of the bands played Dragon Attack, <laughs> which is so cool when it's like 14 year old kids mm-hmm. I remember 7th grade like I had this cool English teacher 
Um, she was doing like poetry slams and you know, just different than all my other English teachers, like not making us read like old, you know, old English literature or whatever. weren't reading like a Chaucer or something. Right, yeah. Um, and she had everybody write a, a report about a song. Well, let me tell you, like 99% of my class chose to write about Linkin Parks in the end because it came out that year and that was everyone's favorite song. I wrote about Queen's Keep Yourself Alive. I was the only, <laughs> I was the only kid who wrote like something not about Linkin Park. Wow. And you had to get up and like read about it and explain why this song is important to you. And everybody Describe just looked at me like, what? <laughs> oh yeah, everybody was rolling their eyes in my class like, okay. If OK Boomer was a thing back then, mm, I would have... That would have been you. Yeah, I would have gotten... <laughs> that would have been the sentiment. Yeah, Freddie Mercury has nothing on Chester Bennington. We all know that. <laughs> nothing against Chester. I mean, yo. Not at th all. That album was brilliant. I was just... Um, but come on. On a different timeline. <laughs> yeah. I caught up later mm -hmm. to my peers. <laughs> my clock was all messed up because... I was playing music with old people all the time when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that you were out of step with your peers a lot, or just in that musical sense? Always. Always. I was bullied a lot. Mm. Um, just wanted to kind of keep to myself or stay with my musical pack yeah. in the orchestra because mm -hmm. we would nerd out over music all the time and... Yeah. It's like jokes other mm -hmm. people wouldn't care about. <laughs> Musical in-jokes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you were in the school orchestra? Did you do, like, marching band and stuff like that, too, or no? My sister did marching band. Oh, yeah? She got, like, lead snare as soon as she joined as a freshman, and that upset um, all the older guys. They were like, she doesn't deserve oh, it, what the hell. The older guys didn't like... Yeah, yeah. The, well, you know, the senior guys in the marching upstart. band were like, what the hell, a freshman girl is going to get a solo, like, mm -hmm. this is not fair. So They've been doing their paradiddles for years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then my sister comes in not knowing anything about marching band, and she's like, what are you doing? Oh, this? <laughs> Boom. Okay, you No, it's perfect, thank you. Yeah, so your sister Katie has been the drummer in Resilient with you. Any yes. other stuff that you've done together? Or? Well, our first band was Sugar High. <laughs> Sugar High? Yeah. Good name? Yeah, that was, uh, that was like our first project together outside of playing with my parents. Katie, no. Katie had eventually joined in with my parents when she turned 11, I think. 10 or 11. <laughs> yeah. Well, they realized that they drew more of a crowd when they had kids on stage. Oh, right. <laughs> like a family band, yes. They even made it's us play totally the Partridge lovely. Family theme song. I wanted to die. <laughs> I was like, get me out of here. Come on now, there's a song now, sing. Yeah. I'll make you happy. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Peak embarrassment. Love the Partridge Family, but I can imagine it would be embarrassing for Peak embarrassment. Like, <laughs> Peak. So bad. I could talk about it now because I'm grown up and whatever. This right. is a long gone. At the but, time, it was. <laughs> oh my God. At the time, I would just pretend that I did not do any of that stuff. <laughs> but you know, we got tired of 
doing it. Mm-hmm. And um, I wanted to do my Did own Did you thing. have a moment where you were like, Mom, Dad, we quit the band? Well, it was more like I quit, and my sister was like, didn't have the courage to, so they kind of kept bringing you because your band's nothing without a drummer, as they say, and they were like, they, really, she's it turned a kick-ass in, drummer, so uh, it dissolved into like a huge family fight. So, oh, no. yeah, so it was rough. Um, and I told my dad, I would. The breakup of a band is always rough, but when it it's worse when it's your family. Yeah, um, I can imagine. I told them I wanted to. Well, I didn't really tell them. Tell them my sister kind of outed me as like a songwriter. I was writing secret songs and like throwing them in the trash. And she was like, "Don't do that." You know, she was like going through my stuff. She was like, "What's this?" You know, no, no privacy between siblings. No, and she was like, "Well, why don't we try playing some of this stuff?" And why are you throwing it away? And I didn't think. Yeah, why were you throwing it away? I thought it was trash. (laughs) I didn't think it was any good, and I was too scared to Uh share my original. It was incredibly corny, I will say. very, but she encouraged very me. personal type stuff, or what was the style? It, it was it was twelve. Like, I mean, you know, it did sound like a twelve year old wrote it. <laughs> um, so it's just pop music, okay. and um, kind of like Michelle Branchy, you know, but like cheesier. <laughs> and uh, it was Branchy. That's <laughs> a good. Uh... No, Michelle Branchy. Oh yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm a Michelle Branch oh. fan, actually. Oh, I love her, but it was like a 12-year-old wanting to be Michelle mm-hmm. Branch, you know. Right. Um, so we would sneak off and like play that stuff uh, when my parents weren't around. And um, when I was telling them I wanted to quit, my sister was like, "Yeah, she's writing her own music and wants to do her own thing." And I remember my father saying, "Well, I'll tell you when you're old enough to write a song." <laughs> Damn. So. Mm-hmm. so. Shots fired. Yeah, it really was. I mean, <laughs> took a while to recover from all that. <laughs> I'll tell you when you're old enough to write a song. Wow. Mm-hmm. He didn't want to lose like the little empire that he was. He was the businessman, the manager, the getting getting paid. And plus, it was. Putting food on the table. Kind of a livelihood thing, too. <laughs> it was. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they had an opportunity and it involved us, we were allowed to not go to school. So. Wow. Yeah. So, oh, we had a gig in Delaware, wild, blah, blah. You don't have to go to school this day because we had to go play this gig and get money, you know. I imagine that was appealing at first or maybe it remained appealing like yeah I mean it was anything for the gig you know right anything for the show like I loved it it kind of instills a little something in you I still have that and now Mm -hmm. that the pandemic has happened and everything now I really have to remind myself like I can't be like that anymore because if I do have any sort of symptom or whatever I have to be considerate of everyone else right and not go and play anyway when in the past like I had swine flu one time and I went and played a show, you know what I mean? <laughs> I totally understand that. I mean, I think I definitely would have powered through anything as long as, like, some sound was coming out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
every time I've gone on tour, I've been sick at some point. And I'm like, whatever. Like, I've done right. this my whole life. <laughs> right. I have a shit immune system. I'll just keep going. But now, that, all of that has changed. Right. You're, you're, you're a bad person if you don't not do it. I remember I was on a tour with my old band, Ike. And we were doing this string of shows down south, and it was always like our favorite leg of shows that we did. We kind of like did did it every year. And like as soon as I got down to Atlanta, I completely lost my voice. So one of my students at Blue Bond at the time, I was teaching vocals in addition to being a band coach. So I had some people that were like adults as students and one of them happened to be a doctor and she was like if you ever need anything here's my number and I was like I'm desperate I have to I have to call her and I knew this had happened to me before so like I knew what to do which is pop a handful of prednisone (laughs) I've been there and in like two hours it's like nothing ever happened mm-hmm. you know but your consequences be damned hungry as hell right well you're all kinds of things as hell yeah angry too <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah I'm just full of roid rage at that point mm-hmm. but uh but that's and I would do that without even pondering the consequences you know what I mean just like I've got to do this, and that's it. And I, I look back on it, and I was like, my self-worth is so tied into, like, successfully pulling off what I set out to do, musically and otherwise. It's like, you can't not go through with this. And not only do you have to do it, like, you have to be fucking good mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. And it made for some interesting times, <laughs> you know? It's really hard to unlearn that. Yeah. Very hard, and in a way, I'm glad that we're sort of forced to unlearn it in at least one regard now. Yeah. Because otherwise, you know, you don't people don't do anything unless they kind of have to generally. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, does your mom still sing? I think didn't uh, when I saw you at the record store a while back, wasn't she coming from a gig or or had a gig or something? She just started performing again. She had a gap in playing out for like 10 years wow um, she's going through like some health issues but uh, she's able to go out and, and do that again uh, which is good like cause that's she needs that that's her you know um, so does she have a band or it's just her and her brother okay. you know or her solo wow. but I'm glad to see her doing it again she wasn't in my life for like a while there were times where she would be in my life and then she wouldn't um, but I'm talking to her again and I'm glad to see that she's more of herself so good yeah. what happens between Sugar High and Resilient? Um, a lot of dark shit so it starts out as me and my sister and my cousin Lisa um, who was a great bassist she just you know uh, didn't stick with music and now she's family and mm-hmm. you know she's doing great um, but it started out as us three I was like 12 me and Katie are 21 months apart so okay. she was like 11 wow um, 
My and you had the motivation to like form a real band at that age. Like I was just like fantasizing about it at that age. Like I had imaginary bands. Well, when you have a sibling who also plays That's music true. and you don't have the internet or cable TV, what yeah. else do you do? You know, I'm kind of grateful for the fact that we didn't have the technology, mm-hmm. and that was all that we had to do to pass the time. Um, so like it just started out as us playing like Weezer's Blue album, you know, and, <laughs> In its um, and like the Cranberries and uh, playing Zombie or something, you know, like the cooler cover songs from the '90s. So that's that was our time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then starting to work out our own cheesy songs together. And gotcha. my sister wanted drum lessons. Instead of just, she was a great natural. Like she had great intuition on the kit, but she didn't know if she was doing things the right way, mm-hmm. as we were talking about earlier. Yeah, holding the sticks a certain way or learning the terminology, she had no knowledge of that. And um, my mom's friend, old bandmate, we we called him Uncle, you know, Uncle Tom, but he wasn't a real uncle. Right. Um, his name was Tom Stokes. Great songwriter um, he was involved with like Sigma Sound for a little bit oh, wow. you know, I, all those guys he had some opportunities but he knew how to play the drums showed my sister like three beats or whatever three patterns that she could do but she never had formal lessons so my my dad heard about um, the old drummer from Wanderlust Jim Cavanaugh oh, yes. and um there was this bar that we would go to when we weren't playing to watch other musicians play because every night we did something like music related mm. it was called the Bridgeport Rip House so the Ribby yeah that's they call it now they didn't call it that back then mm-hmm. <laughs> but we go there and Jim was in the house band okay. and my dad starts bugging him to get my sister drum lessons and he's like I don't teach kids you know and he's like no you don't understand like you know you gotta you gotta watch her blah 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 um so she gets up and she plays, uh, why can't I remember the name of the Stone song? I know the beat. Um, I hear the cowbell in my head and everything. Who does the song? The Stones. Oh, that's it. Oh. Honky Yes. Okay. She gets up and plays Honky Tonk. Thank you. You're See? <laughs> I knew you would know. She gets up and plays Honky Tonk Woman like perfectly. Mm-hmm. Just this little kid up there playing Honky Tonk Woman. And Jim just like starts to fold his arms <laughs> and watch her. And he thinks of, he's thinking about it. And we stayed for a couple more hours and I guess by the end of the night he gave my dad his number. Mm-hmm. So separately Jim starts like coming over the house and giving Katie lessons and I'm upstairs working on my little lame songs that I had been playing with my sister and he overhears that uh-huh. and gets a light bulb goes off in his head um, and he asked Katie like oh well what what's she doing what's she playing do you guys play together or blah blah, blah. and he decides that this could be like his new post wanderlust project because every other band member had a post wanderlust thing going on oh, okay. and he was just playing in the cover band right. um, so he be- became our producer and uh, we worked with Jim for like you seven you air quotes there so that's yeah so <laughs> so we worked with Jim on our first album mm-hmm. um 
with some of the guys from Get the Let Out, the Led Zeppelin tribute band. Oh, yeah, yeah mm -hmm. Paul and Paul. Um, took years to record. Um, Jim had people investing in it, which we were unaware of. Um, we released, you know, the album, but then we have to pay Jim back. So we had to sell a bunch of records and, and pay Jim back. And um, eventually, I know he told you this or did not tell you this. He did. Okay. Um, but we didn't know that he had all these investors he had to pay back. Oh. So. It was like a lot of money. And um, all the business stuff became like complicated, you know? Mm. Um, we were like too young to understand a lot of it. Well, yeah. He did a great <laughs> job like teaching us how to record. We recorded to eight track. You know what I mean? We didn't start recording digital or anything like that. Right. It was like, You're doing on he taught us tape. how to get a take. How to, you know, practice our butts off. Like, Very we, old we have to, I mean, we already knew how to practice with my mom and everything, but it, this was like rigorous. Like, all right, get in this garage and no, go over that again. Blah. Um, you know, he gave us some ideas of how to make our set better and present our set. And it was like manager stuff, you know, and, and it was good. It was good to learn that stuff. You got like the Narstown Herald or whatever to come out and do an article about us and how to uh, reach out to people to get gigs and like very good stuff practical to stuff. practical things yeah about being in a band stuff that a 12 and 11 year old are not going to know you know or or as the years went on a 14 and a 13 year old like you don't learn that stuff until you're like out of high school a lot of the times so right. we learned it really young we're like booking from our little AOL address you know I'm <laughs> really dating myself but You're yeah, like a true veteran. It's impressive. <laughs> and you know, helped us prepare for our school talent show, and we played like in bloom and taught Katie how to really hit it like Dave Grohl, you know. And um, just I have so many, <laughs> I have good memories, you know, with him too. Um, mm -hmm. But what what came down to it was like it ultimately ended because um, I didn't realize that when we sat down to do paperwork, I was signing over my songwriting rights uh, to him. Really? And my royalties, yeah. And, um, and that was a bummer. I didn't realize that. And uh, when we ended up not working together anymore, I had to undo all of that. And that was hard. Yeah. So, you trust somebody. And you I mean, think, yeah. can you even legally sign a contract at that age? No. Now this was this was right around when I was 16, 17 years old, and that was our that was our saving grace. Um, the fact that my parents were not asked when I was signing that paperwork, but it taught me a lot about like ASCAP and BMI and all that stuff. I had to like really pay attention to what I was signing and yeah. copyright. And, yeah, education uh, by misfortune. Bye. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, so you had to undo all that stuff. Yeah, I went to a lawyer in Philadelphia, and he gave me advice. Like an entertainment lawyer? Uh, yes. Simon Rosen was the guy's name. He was Pink's lawyer before she was Pink. <laughs> uh, when she was just Alicia Moore right, right and she was in uh, her trio choice I think it was your knowledge of Pink goes very deep <laughs> well I know because I was in his office and right. he tells me all about Pink right. so uh, but he gave me legal advice and told me what to do and how to get the music taken down and unlinked for CD Baby and drew up a legal document yeah. and got 
the loss was that we had to like trademark our stupid band name even though we were like falling apart as a band anyway yeah Yeah. that's when our second producer came into the picture who turned out to be a total creep and uh, Mm -hmm. really dissolved our band so yeah so you had like a string of bad business bad business Um, but you know you live you learn that would be very disheartening as a young a very young person like in your position. I didn't play out or do anything for three years, so, yeah. And is that just because you just felt... Well, I had brain surgery, that was one thing. Well, that, yeah, that um, was another thing that... <laughs> uh, but, you know, at, the t- at that time, resilient was forming, so I felt good again. But between everything that had happened and resilient forming, yeah, mm-hmm. it was just... I was like in a real bad way and um, do you mind talking about your brain surgery no like how did it come how did you know it had to happen <laughs> by accident yeah so like I've had epilepsy my whole life right mm-hmm. my medication for it so that I don't have seizures mm-hmm. um, but I'm really ir- irresponsible and I don't like go to my doctor's appointments unless like my arm's falling off right <laughs> so <laughs> So at this point, um, I go to get my, my medication refilled and they're like, oh, you're out of refills and your doctor didn't approve a refill. And I'm like, why? And I call and my doctor, he was like, you haven't been here in like way over a year and legally I cannot refill your script anymore uh, until you come in type thing. You gotta do an appointment, whatever. So, and at the time it was like September. Uh, and he's like, I'm booked till December. So, and I'm like, well, I obviously can't be off my seizure medication that long. So what the hell? And he was like, well, find a new doctor. Wow. And it clicked. He hangs up. And I, was like, <laughs> I was like, wow, what a dick. So. Is that where uh, Ain't Got Time for the Doctor comes from? <laughs> Kinda, yeah. Ain't got time for the doctor. So I'm calling like Wanganoa Hospital, trying to find another like neurologist ASAP because I'm like I wait till I'm out of my damn medication, right? And um, they're like, oh, there's a new guy who just joined, you know, uh, started a whatever here, and um, he's an epileptologist. I'm like, oh, like what's the difference <laughs> between that and, and a neurologist? Whatever. I'm like, yeah, I'll come in like right now. Like, and I was all pissed because I had to take off work and I was working in a really toxic work environment. Like if you take off at all, like you never hear the end of it. So, um, it's the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. Anyway. <laughs> um, so I go in and I sit down with him and he's like, none of your records transferred. And I was like, what does that mean? And he's like, I don't have it. Like, I can't treat you for epilepsy without any records. I'm like, what do you need from me? And I'm like, you guys are in the same building. Can't you just like figure this out? And he was like, I need you to go down to um, radiology and get new scans. So I was like, look now? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, I can't fucking believe this. So I'm like, I'm not going to make it back to work today. This is bullshit. So I go down and I get the scans. And then in the middle of one of my scans, the tech pulls me out of the thing. And he's, he's like, I need you to sign this paper. We need to put contrast in your own. And like contrast, and I was like, "What the hell is that?" And he's like, "It's just so we can see the 
the brain image is better. And I was like, okay, like, you guys have never done this before. I knew something was weird. But I just signed the paper, and then they keep me there for, like, a long time. And then they sent me home. And then I get home, and the house phone's ringing, and then they were like, oh, we need you to come back, like, immediately. And I was like, why? Like, what now? I was like, great, what okay. Now? So... I'm like, I can't, like, can I come back the next day? I can't believe I have to ask my boss again, but okay. I tell my boss, he's pissed. So I go back the next day and he sits me down and tells me he found like a signal abnormality in my brain, the size of a quarter in my occipital lobe. And it looked like it was growing. So, wow. And he was like, you need to stop everything you're doing. I'm going to call. He was like, this is over my head. I'm going to call Penn Medicine and we're going to send you over there and schedule whatever procedure they presume needs to be done. And I was like, procedure? What? So he's like, yeah. I was like, wait a minute. You're telling me I can't go back to work? I can't, like, I have stuff to do. So it was like, and that was minute, like, you got to go. Yeah. And he was like, not anymore. I was like, what the He's like, I'm going to call over there to Dr. O'Rourke and um, neurosurgery, and you're going to meet with him and blah, 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 and plan this out. So I was like, just kind of silent. I took all the paperwork, and I went out to my car, and I just get in my car, and I sit there for like 30 seconds, and I was just like, fuck, (laughs) pounding on the steering wheel. No, I don't blame you. My God. I didn't tell anybody because, you know, by that time, it was the day before my sister's birthday. Yeah. (laughs) I kept it a secret for a little bit. And then, um, yeah, I go over there and I meet with the guy alone first. And he's like, ready to have brain surgery? Like, sorry, was that too cheerful? <laughs> He's like, the guy looks like oh like God. a weird, like the Wish version of Gene Wilder. You know what I mean? <laughs> but like a Willy Wonka brain surgery. Yeah, thing. yeah, but he's like real tough, <laughs> you know? Wow. And um, he's just weird, dark sense of humor. And uh, he's like, yeah, so we're going to schedule it for the last week of October. Uh, can't see plans. So how long was it between that appointment and the surgery? Uh, only a couple of weeks. A couple of weeks. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. Mm. And uh, I get there, I show up for brain surgery day or whatever, and then they have like an intense car crash patient or something, and they had to reschedule my surgery. So they reschedule it for Halloween. Oh my. <laughs> so I'm in there on Halloween. <laughs> my sister showed up dressed as like zombie <laughs> with like the, the fake teeth in and everything. She's like, hey, what's up? <laughs> like sitting next to me with fake blood on her face and stuff. <laughs> oh my God, that's classic. Mm-hmm. How long did the procedure take? Five hours? Yeah. And then I, can't I woke imagine up. Imagine what you were feeling. I mean, was it nothing? I was on morphine. Oh, but well, <laughs> I meant kind of leading up to it. Like, oh. did you were you like <laughs> scared or like what? How did you feel? Numb, honestly. Yeah. Well, I was also dealing with my sister was going through some pretty intense like mental health stuff. Like she had just gotten like a pretty serious diagnosis and wasn't really talking. She was not vocal at the time, and um, that was like the first time we I had ever dealt with that with her. So um, I was focused on that. 
I was like, uh, like I have to be here because if I'm not, no one's gonna take care of my sister. So, uh, and that those two events happened like at the same time. So first I was trying to get her into like emergency care for that, and then like the next day I end up going to the neurologist and dealing with that. And it's like, <laughs> wow, Erin. Yeah. So I was like, anything else? <laughs> you know. <laughs> wow. I want to thank Erin Fox for an incredible conversation. She's an awesome musician and an awesome human. And you can check her out on her website at um, online, And be sure to support her annual fundraiser, BrainFest, which raises money for the American Brain Tumor Association. That's happening on Saturday, May 28th on Facebook Live. And I'm sure she will appreciate your support. Just as I appreciate your support for listening to this show. And incidentally, if you'd like to support the podcast and all my other creative endeavors, of which there are many, uh, my upcoming memoir, my upcoming slew of singles and videos, please, A, tell a friend, and B, Consider subscribing to my Patreon at patreon.com slash John Kim Fay. It would mean the world to me. This podcast was recorded and edited and produced by me. And I hope you guys enjoyed it. Join me again next time for another episode right here on Talking at the Diner. Nothing could be finer And everything is on the table When we're talking at the diner